Hello there, I'm Justin, and welcome to The Pickup Line. On today's episode, we're going to be diving into the second chapter of orality and literacy, talking a little bit about heavy metal and the idea of the remix. Thanks for tuning in, hanging out, let's get into it. So I want to begin today with a quote from a website, uh, phrases.com org.uk it's a website called the phrase finder um and they offer a historical context for the phrase heavy metal um i'm sure you've heard of the this particular musical genre um came about in the 60s and 70s with bands like led zeppelin and more after that um if you want to learn a lot about this I would suggest checking out a video called Everything is a Remix by Kirby Ferguson. I'll put the link in the description. Uh, But this website says, what is the origin of the phrase heavy metal? Heavy metal seems at first a strange label to apply to a form of music. However, a little investigation into the symbolism behind the name reveals it to be a rather obvious choice. Heavy was coined in the beatnik era of the 1950s to mean serious or profound, and the term heavy music was then and later applied to music in that vein. It's clear to see this meaning of heavy is derived from the usual meaning that is weighty or massive. Okay, that's the heavy explained, but why should a form of music be called metal? Well, most metals are heavy, especially the metals favored by the bands who played that genre and used metals in their names. For example, Led Zeppelin, Iron Butterfly, Iron Maiden, Metallica, etc. Um, The term heavy metal first appears in print in William Burroughs' 1962 novel, The Soft Machine. His character, Uranian Willie, is described as, quote, the heavy metal kid. Burroughs later reused the term in his 1964 novel, Nova Express, when he writes, with their diseases and orgasm drugs and their sexless parasite life forms, heavy metal people of Uranus wrapped in cool blue mist of vaporized banknotes and the insect people of Minrod with metal music. The term heavy metal was used in a musical context in the title of a 1967 album by the British avant-garde outfit Hap Sash and the colored coat featuring the human host and the heavy metal kids. The title wasn't applied to a particular musical style and appears to have been a reference to the kids in Burroughs' novel. So I think this is an important uh, place to start today as we talk a little bit about chapter two from morality and literacy uh, because in this chapter, uh, Ang talks a lot of he traces the historical sort of evolution of how modern society came to understand sort of some of the uh, some of the things that we didn't really understand about a lot of the ancient Greek texts that all of our education systems and what we consider to be high literature and high art were based on. And some of his basic conclusion, he talks a lot about Perry Millman and um someone that he studied a lot, that Ang studied a lot. And the conclusions that, that these scholars eventually came to was that the Odyssey and the Iliad, these, these ancient foundational texts, long considered to be works of genius, just pure genius works of writing, uh, were actually not, not that. They were traditionally oral works. And through, a, uh, through Millman's intense study of the 
you know, the pros of these texts and the, the, the meter of them and the, the references and all these different things came to this conclusion that what Homer was really doing was reciting an oral memory, a tradition, a, something that was in his brain. And the way that he was able to do this was through mnemonics and memorization. And if, according to these scholars, according to Ong and, and his mentors, if you look at the Odyssey and the Iliad, um, you'll see that what they're really comprised of is sort of like a collection of cliches and tropes, um, which was in the 80s, I guess, when this work was happening, quite quite groundbreaking to, and kind of controversial to think that, oh my God, like these texts that we've relied on as, and looked to as these paradigms of, of perfect literature are actually just like something that culture now doesn't consider to be a high form of art, uh, cliche, repetition, um, tropes, you know, things that, that pieces being stitched together, used, uh, in this particular kind of way. This, this notion of, of stitching together comes, comes through in this chapter quite frequently as, as Ang uses that, that phrase, um, and it's historical, uh, um, definitions, uh, going back to the Greek term rhapsodize, uh, which means to stitch song together. Um, taking individual pieces from different stories, piecing them together, using these cliches, putting them into this, this odyssey, this, this work of, of storytelling, um, and then passing that through generation after generation after generation. And so, you know, Ong writes towards the end of or towards the middle of the first section, towards the end of the first section of chapter two, the mind has initially uh, no properly chirographic resources. You scratch out on a surface words you imagine yourself saying aloud in some realizable oral setting. Only very gradually does writing become composition in writing, a kind of discourse, poetic or otherwise, that is put together without a feeling that the one writing is actually speaking aloud. Um... So there's a lot of important concepts in this section of chapter two. Um, Ong notes that the importance of ancient Greek civilization to all the world was beginning to show in an entirely new light. It marked the point in human history when deeply interiorized alphabetic literacy first clashed with head-on orality. Um, And so we're seeing this sort of tension between orality, between writing things down, what that results in, um, and how it changes how we perceive culture, art, history, and everything. Um, and I think this, this nicely kind of dovetails with what we see happening in the 1960s with music. Um, William Burroughs uses this term heavy metal. We see bands beginning to, to adopt this as a musical genre. And if you go and watch Kirby Ferguson's remix video, what he argues in that piece is that what bands were essentially doing in that, at that time, what heavy metal bands were doing, was they were stitching together pieces of other songs and calling it their own. They were essentially doing exactly what Homer was doing in the Odyssey. Um, bands like Led Zeppelin borrowed extremely heavily. I wouldn't even use the word borrowed. I would use the term ripped off. Um blues bands that were not as mainstream, that were not as popular, um, not as white, and were doing things in their music uh, that were then adopted, taken, sampled, remixed, rhapsodized by bands like Led Zeppelin, um, which then kind of they became quite famous doing that. Kirby Ferguson in his video goes on to, to speak about and argue that we have really gone down the path of uh, the remix culture 
post-1962. Um, nothing is original. There's no original thought. Everything is a remix. Look at music. Look at Hollywood. Look at cinema. Look at novelization, art, writing, all of it. Um, everything is just a redo, a remix, a rehash, a stitching together, a rhapsodizing of something else. Um, and I think this traces all the way back to Homer. But the difference is, what's different is that our society now, I don't think, values that as much, at least in terms of high art, right? Art tells us philosophy, literature, art, education, tell us be original, be unique, um, you know, use your voice, find yourself. And I think that's a valuable pursuit. But if we dichotomize that with the idea of remix and rhapsody, and stitching together of other ideas, we're doing ourselves a disservice because no original idea can come about on its own. I think everything is a, is, a, is a mix. Everything's a milieu. And that's kind of what Kirby Ferguson refers to and talks about in his remix video, which is a great video, and I encourage everybody to go watch it. Um, and I think I think that's exactly what um, Walter Ong is kind of referring to and getting at in this particular section of orality and literacy, um, thinking about this notion of what do we actually value and do we actually understand where our, our where the things that we value so highly come from and you know do do we value originality or do we value uh remix or rhapsodizing um so it's a really interesting chapter and i wanted to make that connection with kirby ferguson because that's something that i deal with and talk about a lot in my in my writing classes um you know as someone who's, who's a teacher of writing this book is really important to me because it's kind of challenging a lot of what I hold dear and what I understand to be true of writing and what it actually is and how it connects with an oral history that I often don't think about. Um, so it's really cool to kind of make these connections and go back even further past into the past further from Kirby Ferguson's video, which begins in the 1960s, um, to think that this, to think that this rhapsodizing, this heavy metal, this stitching together of ideas and concepts and cliches and tropes and making something new out of it. This idea of remix goes back all the way to Homer. Um, is pretty amazing and makes me think that perhaps this is really something that's intrinsically, you know, human. Um, so it's pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, kind of a short one today, but this is what I wanted to kind of just get, get out there. Some of my thoughts about this, um, kind of review that, that second chapter there, the sec- first part of the second chapter, more on that tomorrow. Um, but until then, here's a little, uh, a little Zeppelin for you to enjoy on the way out and go check out some of the links in the description. Thanks so much for hanging out with the pickup line today. I will see you next time.